Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that your body, if you're average, has enough iron in it to make one small nail, or maybe two staples. That's kind of an interesting thought because it turns out iron overload is a major issue for people. So from a biohacking perspective, having too little iron equals anemia equals weakness. Having too much iron in your blood, as evidenced by high ferritin, is a problem that causes excess oxidation and can actually make you live less long. So like most nutrients, with iron, having the right amount, not too much, not too little, is the right way to go. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Dr. Val Brown is an internationally recognized trainer of neurofeedback trainers, and he's taught and consulted widely on personal and organizational transformation. He's got a PhD in clinical psychology, but what makes him really interesting as a guest on the show today is that he's got a background in math, physics, computer programming, philosophy, yoga, meditation, and martial arts. In other words, he's a biohacker. 
Val brings a presence and precision to his work that's been really impressive to me. And it's one of the reasons that his company's neurofeedback equipment is the stuff that I carry on UpgradedSelf.com. I've also noticed with Val that he has a profound sense of compassion and he kind of understands energy dynamics in groups and organizations. And he's really interested in learning and transformation. And because of that, he's developed the five phase model with his wife, Sue, and the period three approach to clinical neurofeedback. These are pretty geeky things for you if you're just coming into the show, but that's all right. He's gonna go through that with us today and talk about what neurofeedback is and what the dynamical approach that he's pioneered does for your brain. This is a kind of technology that I use on myself for biohacking on a regular basis, and it's this kind of technology that I use with my Bulletproof coaching clients around the globe. So it's pretty important stuff. Dr. Brown or Val, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Glad to be here. Tell me a little bit about yourself. That was an intro kind of from the, the high-level view, but you know, <laughs> give, give me the real sense. When, when we first met and we first talked on the phone, I mean, you've done some pretty amazing and interesting things, so give me the quick version. Um, well, yeah, I guess I guess I have. It's funny. I, I look back over my life and some of the experiences I've had, and uh I guess it is kind of a unique combination. Um, yes, I have a background in computer programming, and I've done all the programming uh, for our software. Um, and as you pointed out, it, it is a totally unique approach. Um, and my, my background in martial arts and meditation and yoga and such it was an important part of all of this because... Having that background, I I know the kind of place, I know the kind of flow that we want to get to. Um, and I know the idea is that we're really trying to help the central nervous system return to present. So it, it's been um, quite, a, quite an experience over the years to develop the software to realize this vision um, in conjunction with my wife, uh, Sue. Uh, but the, the vision went back to me uh, in in high school is when it first came to me that uh, sooner or later we'd have enough computing power on hand uh, around the world in in homes and just available to anybody almost um, to be able to comprehensively dance with the central nervous system and help it to tune itself for optimal flow and function regardless of why someone wanted to do the training. So I had a lot of experiences meeting different people along the way. I, I presented for a number of years with uh, Dr. Carl Pribram, who uh, was the developer of the holographic uh, memory model and perception model. Um, I've, and, and that's really a basic pattern of our software is that we really see the, the central nervous system as a whole as a, a vastly interconnected, uh, massively parallel system, much more like the entire World Wide Web um, than like a single computer or even a network of computers. But all of that's been simplified in the software, and that's, that's been a guiding principle of, of my work uh, both when I was practicing as uh, more of a traditional talk uh, therapist, 
Um, but especially now with the, the software, with the project with my wife Sue, we really wanted to make this accessible to everybody. So no special training is needed to use the software, no particular background. We have a personal system and a professional system. And it, it really is sort of the culmination of all of the threads in, in my past. That's a great way of explaining it because I've spent an enormous amount of time since about 1998, I've had an EEG machine at home. In fact, if we were on video right now, I could you know, hold up several different amplifiers. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, my, my kids knit <laughs> electrodes into finger puppets. No, not right. right. <laughs> but <laughs> we're, we're getting to that point. And the problem is I'm not a certified biofeedback practitioner. And right. the difficulty is almost always, even if you can scrape together the money and get your hands on some of these systems that are really expensive, Yes, you know, like it's not hard to spend twenty thousand dollars on a on a clinical grade system. Yes, and you do that, and then you have no idea what to up train or down train, and you can actually do some things that aren't that good to your brain that way. Well, that's exactly right, and and part of the problem is that the rest of the field is still stuck in this hyper localization, hyper specialization uh, focus. They, they keep believing that the way to go is to find the center in the brain responsible for a particular function or dysfunction or problem or whatever, and then what is supposedly the normative range of frequencies and amplitudes and other signatures uh, in that location, and then try to up or down train, as you said, uh, those specific targets. The, the problem with that is it fails to recognize that, first off, that when we do surface EEG, we're recording the voltage on the surface of the scalp. The localization effects die away uh, as soon as you, you start to get out to the scalp because it basically it becomes what, we, what in the field is known as volume conduction. Um, we use a two-channel setup and with the two channels, we not only cover both hemispheres, if you want to think of it that way, uh, but we cover the entire range of frequencies uh, through which any form of useful training can occur. And we do that with a comprehensive targeting approach that modifies and follows uh, the, the actual electrical activity during the training. So it's, it's very much uh, like dancing with yourself. The central nervous system is getting real-time information in exactly the same way that it perceives. And it's getting it holographically, if you will. It's getting it holistically. Um, you start training some particular frequency up because, you know, beta is supposed to be good for concentration, for instance. Well, that's a really great way to precipitate out headaches, for instance. It, it's, it, I've probably been a little bit remiss in that some people who are connecting with this podcast, maybe for the first time, haven't really got a great grounding in what neurofeedback is and why it's my most important brain hacking technique above things like breathing exercises and meditation and you know, dual and back training and things like that. As a guy who's spent a long time doing neurofeedback 
how do you explain it to someone in an elevator who's never heard of it before? Like, what is your shortest, best description of what the heck you're doing with Zengar? Well, the first thing I'll say is we train the central nervous system, and it ain't called central for nothing. It's, <laughs> it's central to everything. Um, and what the training does, it's, it's millisecond to millisecond mirroring of the brain to itself. So just like when you look in a mirror at yourself, um, you don't really have to be taught where to look to recognize yourself or to notice that your hair doesn't look the way you want it to or you know whatever it is. The brain is very similar to that. Uh, it's essentially an enormous feedback system or collection of feedback systems. But most of the feedback we get through life is too time-delayed to help us. You know, you go to school, you take a class, and if it's in college, you may not know how you're doing until the final exam is graded. Well, that doesn't help you know when to study what exactly. So your efforts can get very misplaced. But with the neurofeedback, the way we do it, the brain is literally seeing what it's doing as it's doing it and that allows it to course correct far sooner than it would otherwise waiting for the anxiety for instance to expand and take over or the trauma response to start to reinitiate and then become that lived terror once again that is a profound way of looking at it and it's the reason that yours is the system that i use at home because of the real-time feedback nature of it, and honestly, because it can be a lot of work to hook electrodes up to your head, as you well know. There's, <laughs> there's yes. a goopy kind of paste that you need to rinse out of your hair, and yep. I found it, even without a mirror, I can put two electrodes on in about a minute, and then a couple ear clips. It's the only practical way I know. Trying to glue four or eight electrodes to your head in a mirror on the back of the head so you can do it, it's, it just becomes a chore, and a lot of the stuff that I've done involves being somewhere. So you have to drive there, get yep. connected, do the thing. And then it requires a lot of money, you know, $100 plus a session. And I, I think you've done something kind of profound by, number one, using your approach to make it simple enough uh, yep. to do the processing and to do just the simple hookup. And then making it so that it's accessible to people for, I think it's about $18 a session when you average it out over the number of sessions you get. So it's, it's in my mind, something that should be in every high school. It should be available at a very reasonable cost to almost anyone on earth. And the only way to do that is to make it easy to hook up and very, very affordable. I think you guys are on the right track there. Is that vision going to happen? Well, that, that is the vision. You know, it's, um, it's a question of how quickly computer prices come down how and of course Moore's law is operative there uh, and so we're able to do things today that uh, when I started actively uh, writing the software back in late 98 I had to project ahead to when we'd really be able to implement all the things that I wanted to do and we, we had to do a series of approximations if you will um, as computing capability came online affordably for folks to, to use. Um, and it, that process is continuing. 
you know, so is the the simplification. I mean, two two years ago we released our our version two o, which its primary feature was what we called auto nav, um, and that allowed the system to completely automatically adjust itself moment to moment to anyone, no matter what. Before that, there was one control that you would adjust at times depending on how many of the interruptions or, or feedback events you personally felt comfortable with. And it's been very interesting since we released AutoNav because for years I was telling people that they were setting the uh, number of feedback events too high and they just didn't believe it. There's this real um, you know, gaining mind perspective out there where more is better, work harder, and, and it gets better. and and actually, frequently, it's the opposite way. It's uh, less is more when it's done at the right time. It would definitely match my experience with this because um, I've done you know many different forms of neurofeedback, and this is one of the simplest ones because you you really sit there and listen to music, and you know, the music occasionally has a glitch. And it's mostly not conscious. Like you're not trying to get glitches, you're not trying to avoid glitches. It's the brain optimizing itself because it has a feedback loop it didn't have before. But as far as I can tell and as far as I understand from our discussions when I was deciding whether I was willing to hook this thing up to my head <laughs> right, <laughs> was, uh, uh, you know, a bit of due diligence there. Sure. And, and sure. I, I think that's, that's my understanding of it. But can you talk a little bit more about how the brain optimizes itself when it's given data versus how uh, in some models you control what your brain does or in the worst case, something else controls what your brain does. Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's fascinating to me because this, the central nervous system is, is wonderfully designed to do two things. One is detect difference. Um, so when there's a change in the internal or external environment, the central nervous system responds to that. Uh, and, and that's detectable in so many ways. That's, that's a, it's an old saw at this point in, in neuropsychology and neuropsychiatry. Um, but the other thing that it's wonderfully designed to do is to minimize its discomfort. Now, frequently that gets put in terms of it, it tries to feel better, but actually it's minimizing discomfort. And everything that we consider to be a disorder or a dysregulation is actually discomfortable, but the central nervous system can't detect soon enough the differences that are precipitating that descent into those states. Um, that's why you run into it in life. Uh, you know, you run into the consequences of, of what you do at this moment because the feedback doesn't come until uh, you've had too much to drink and you have, the, you have the effect. Either you can no longer talk or make sense or uh, you get the hangover the next day. Well, that doesn't help you at the moment that you're having the drink, you know, is this enough? Is this too much? Is this really what I want to be doing? And that's all true in spades for things like um, anxiety or, or depressive thinking or, or any of those things. They're momentary uh, steps on the way, like the snowball that starts at the top of the hill and just keeps gathering 
uh, larger and larger mass or the avalanche that, you know, just a small event can trip it off. But once it trips and there's no stopping it at that point, it becomes a huge disaster. So our software is set up to use um, negative feedback, not positive feedback. Everything else out there uses positive feedback. And what that means is there are a set of conditions, say, increase beta, decrease theta. That was an old standby for a long time for working with attentional issues. Um, and when beta intensity increases and theta intensity decreases, um, in those models, there'd be a, a little ping made or, a, a, you know, the bar would go up on the graph. And so you had to attend to that and you had to try to make more pings. You had to try to make the bar go higher. The, the problem with using positive feedback is that positive feedback inherently has a problem known as overshoot in engineering terms. You never actually just get two that target. You go past it and then sink below it. If you think about, you know, the furnace in your home and you have the thermostat that you set the temperature to, well, the temperature is very, very rarely that exact temperature. Because what happens is when the temperature falls too far below that set point, the furnace comes on and starts heating. By the time it hits that set point where the thermostat is, there's still heat being generated through the furnace and being pumped through the house. So actually the temperature goes higher than that and then it has to cool back down. The, the better the furnace and the better the thermostat, the smaller the range of that variability. But there's always variability there. Um, and, you know, if you, if you watch all the science fiction movies, you, you see the, uh, the, the rocket taking off from Earth and then they're going full tilt to, you know, intersect with the, the orbiting space station. And they go right to it. Well, if you did that, you'd destroy both vehicles. <laughs> what actually happens is you, you go into Earth orbit above the space station that you want to go to. And you slow down the shuttle so it, it drops down progressively. You're, you're, you're not trying to go to the target. You're almost falling towards it, if I can say it that way. So negative feedback is like what happens in a well-designed sailboat. You know, if you're, if you're out on a sailboat and you let go of all the control lines, you let grow, go of the, the lines that position the sails and you let go of the rudder, what's going to happen in a well-designed sailboat is it's going to point itself up into the wind. Now, that may feel a little bit rocky depending what the current is, but it's actually the safest place to be if you don't know what you're doing. So you, you negatively go back to that place instead of positively trying to overcorrect. And you find this too when you're driving in winter conditions. You know, one of the reasons people get into skids is because they start to feel something happening and they really massively overcorrect and that's going to throw you completely out. What you have to do is slowly correct in time, particularly if there's ice, so that you maintain traction, so that you maintain some way of controlling. So our little interrupts, the, the crackles, or some people call them scratches, um, are basically subliminal, unless several of them occur very close in time to each other. 
And, but the central nervous system detects those because, remember, one of the things it's wonderfully designed to do is to detect difference. So it'll, it'll hear that there's something just a little bit off, and that's enough to reorient the central nervous system back to the present and kind of ask itself metaphorically, if you will, is what I'm doing right now what I really want to be doing? It's actually kind of profound. I've developed a higher than average sense of of awareness of what's going on in my head because of the time I've spent hooked up to these machines. And the first time I used Neuroptimal, I thought it was really irritating because... <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm listening to this kind of nice, relaxing music and kind of right. chilling a little bit. And all of a sudden, yeah. you're just like... Like a yeah. scratch in a vinyl record. Right. And then it happens again. You're like, bleh. Like, this is not fun at all. Right. And when I was done, I'm like, I don't know if I like this at all. And then I right. did it another time. And it had less of a negative effect. But what was going on there was my nervous system was going, oh, wait, I don't like that. But what it was notifying me of was when my brain was moving from one state to another without my conscious knowledge, which mm-hmm. made it easier for me to stick in that state and then to move to another state when I decided to, instead exactly. of my brain just kind of flopping around like a fish, not really knowing what's going on. Yep, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it, and it is interesting because people have very different responses at, at times. The, the the kind of response that you had is is also sometimes shared by those who are are highly skilled musicians. And they'll say, you know, some, something's wrong with your audio equipment here. <laughs> exactly. <You know? laughs> and, uh, I'll say, no, actually, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> that is how it works. <laughs> but, you know, it's a fascinating thing, too, because what they bring to that task that, that makes it more difficult for them is, of course, their, their heavily trained ear to listen to the nuance in the music. And that's great when that's what you're trying to do, maybe because you're a professional musician and you're trying to record something for later distribution. But when you're out living your life, that's not really, that's not the most efficient use of <laughs> the central nervous system. To be silently there and, and not so silently is kind of a critique of how the audio is going all the time. Yeah, definitely. I've seen strange abilities in musicians, uh, <laughs> yeah. as well as cameramen. People yes. who shoot video for a living, they yes. see the world through eyes that are bizarre. They, they can see through stuff that other people just don't pick up. Yes. And so I've noticed through doing neurofeedback, uh, particularly yours, but also any of the ones where you really have to strain to hear the sounds that, that your brain are making, mm-hmm. that they do have an effect on my auditory processing, actually a very beneficial effect, where I become maybe more in charge of what I'm hearing, but also just more aware of it. And driving yes. awareness of what you hear is, is kind of a cool thing because you realize, hey, there's something irritating going on right now in the environment. What is it? And yes. you can tune it out or not, but at least you know it's there versus someone who just sits there and gets you know, bombarded by a, a low-frequency hum and feels tired at the end of the day and doesn't even know that it was there. Doesn't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly it. In fact, one of our, one of our uh, trainers has coined the phrase uh, therapy in the rearview mirror because what it seems to do for many people is they'll, they'll have seamless change occur 
um, and and sometimes even forget what brought them in for the training because the change is so seamless. Um, but part of that is because they recognize far, far sooner, even without consciously knowing it, that they're starting to get irritated or they're starting to get anxious or they're starting, you know, whatever the proclivity is that's, that's not particularly useful. And they change the situation or change themselves to decrease it. You know, if you, if you watch how children learn to rollerblade as opposed to how adults do, you see this kind of uh, negative feedback learning process happen all the time. You, you try to teach an adult how to rollerblade, and they want to figure it out. They want to know consciously how much to do this or how much to do that. You, you strap them on a, on a, a kid, and they, they move around a little bit. They kind of wobble, they play, and then pretty soon they just integrate right to it because they don't get in the way. They don't try to figure it out. They allow their central nervous system to generate and then utilize that internal feedback based on what other kinds of movement skills they're used to. And, and that's really the fundamental model for the, the kind of training that goes on in, in neurooptimal training as opposed to the other neurofeedback systems where you do have to try really hard or you have to notice when the bar goes up or you know whatever it happens to be. What are some of the effects that people get? I, I know that our listeners are interested in you know, sleeping better. They're interested particularly in learning faster, and they're interested in generally performing better cross-discipline, so things like athletic performance. What are the domains where neurooptimal style neurofeedback training has the biggest and strongest impact versus areas where it's less impactful? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned sleep because uh, if you look up in the, the DSM-5 or the DSM-4, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, um, which is kind of the Bible for what goes wrong uh, as far as psychologists and psychiatrists are concerned, you're hard-pressed to find anything in there that doesn't involve sleep disturbance of some sort. So when sleep starts to improve, everything else starts to improve as well. And, you know, mom was basically right. You know, most of us need about eight hours a night. That's really five sleep cycles that are about a 90-minute average apiece. Now, there's variability. You know, I'm a little different. For me, it's more like six and a half works. Uh, some people are need a little bit more their sleep cycles are longer and of course all of that can change as you age um, you know and and your your circadian rhythm will shift too if, if we really wanted to have teenagers perform well in high school and dovetail with their circadian rhythms uh, we wouldn't start school until like noon because it's it's not for no reason that they have a hard time waking up in the morning you know it's it is it is part of the set point, and, and there's some biological, and if you think about it, um, there's, some real, um, there's some real benefits uh, in terms of where we came from. Because, you know, back in the day, uh, when we were still sort of roaming around, uh, you know, Cro-Magnon time, around uh, Neanderthal Cro-Magnon time, uh, if you think about it... Uh, you had to sleep, but there were some pretty heavy predators out there. 
So who are you going to want to be up awake late at night who can most easily defend the group? Well, it's going to be your teenagers. And it's, for, it's not for no reason that it's late teens that we draft into armies because that's, that's, part of the, that's just part of where they're at. But when we look at what impact Neurooptimal has, one place almost everybody notices to one degree or another is uh, changes in their sleep. And changes means improvement. Uh, frequently those suffering from depressive situations actually sleep a sleep cycle too many. And so that's the sleep disturbance that they have. And that will shift, uh, start to normalize their sleep. Um, and it does, it's not about depression versus anxiety or trying to change what we do in order to fix problems. This is the sort of uh, therapy or transformation through the rearview mirror. The changes happen, and, and frequently the, the, the users have to kind of look over their shoulders, if you will, at, at where they came from to recognize just how much of that change has occurred. Of course, the significant others around them notice <laughs> and, and comment frequently. But sleep normalization is one. Um, increased focus occurs. Uh, ability to shift gears to be more emotionally and uh, psychologically resilient and flexible. Uh, and that also means not putting up with stuff. So if some, we've had many folks who've, who've used this to deal with the after effects of trauma, particularly from uh, abusive relationships. And what they find is that their tolerance for the precursors for those forms of abuse really, really goes down. They get to detect far sooner when things are happening. Instead of putting up with them, they take some kind of action so that that sort of situation doesn't occur. And in many cases, that can mean completely leaving that relationship or, uh, you know, whatever it happens to be. So in terms of particular, like, sports performance, um, one of the stories that, that I do tell about it, uh, we also have a little video up on the, the website about it, but... Uh, it's about five, maybe six years ago now that I started playing golf. I'm 58 and uh, had never played golf in my life. And Sue and I started playing because we were going into that arena with Neurooptimal. And then we wanted to know a little bit about the game and so that you know we could uh, have a more meaningful interaction in, in, that, in that environment. But also then I realized it was something that she and I could do together the rest of our lives. And uh, two years ago, I got down to a 10 handicap and the, the club I belong to recognized me as the most improved player by handicap index. So did I use it specifically for golf? No. But that kind of ability to just return to present and allow my body to do what it was learning to do uh, is what comes out through the neurooptimal training. That's really funny. I find a lot of the biohacking technologies that increase awareness of what's going on in the body really do 
have an impact on things like golf and um, yes. even like like professional athlete level things. But heart rate variability training is another one where you do that, and there's a book about what it does for your golf. So it mm-hmm. it sounds almost trivial where we're talking about you know upgrading your performance neurologically, and it comes down to well, where's the proof point? And one of them mm-hmm. is okay, your ability to focus, be in the moment, and then reliably do a complex activity like swinging the club just right to get where mm-hmm. you want it to go. Mm-hmm. What One of our trainers worked for uh, quite a while and, and still does actually with uh, opera singers and their performances have vastly improved. Uh, we've had folks working with musicians, with uh, professional athletes, I mean, uh, across the range. And what people find is that whatever their level is, they improve because they're they're more in the game instead of in their head. And, uh, you know, Bobby Jones was the first one to say that uh, the most important six inches in golf is the space between your ears because it, it really is what goes on inside yeah. your head that influences how, how well you play. What, whatever your athletic ability, however you know, well you've, you've learned uh, some skill about hitting the ball or you know, course management or whatever. It, it's really funny, but I think in every sport, uh, in fact, there's a lot of mixed martial artists, including some pro fighters who use you know, the whole bulletproof lifestyle with mm-hmm. the food and the brain activation things. Yes. And it's the same thing in that sport. You know, if, if you lose it when you're grappling or you know, when someone comes at you and you switch from the awareness state where you're in charge to you know, the animal state, it, you, know, you need the energy from the animal state but the control from, from the other parts of the brain. And, and I don't think it matters whether you're bowling, golfing, or you know, swinging as hard as you can at someone else. It's the mm-hmm. same six inches that matters, the ones between your ears. That, that's a beautiful quote. Well, you know, it's interesting if you if you work with uh, spec uh, special operations forces. Uh, one of the things you find out about them is that their psychophysiological profile is different from most everybody else, and and the primary difference is that they're able to return to the moment regardless of what's going on around them. And that's partly a trained skill, but it's also part of the proclivity that they they frequently bring into that training because that's the only way you survive in that kind of environment. Do do you use uh, neurooptimal training with special operations or SWAT team kind of guys? um, We've we've involved ourselves much more at this point with um, post-traumatic stress disorder situations. Um, so we have an initiative going forward with uh, Veteran Affairs Canada uh, to make use of this, uh, which we've had some just really profound responses with. And um, I've, I've worked a lot with security forces over the years. Um, for uh, a while, I was involved with uh, the worldwide uh, screening program for unescorted access at nuclear facilities. And those forces, those security forces, are really very interesting to work with. The the toughest job in that environment is to be what was called a watcher, 
Um, that's somebody who sits in a little space for their shift, for two-hour shifts or whatever they do, and then they get a bit of a break, and they just watch a perimeter, uh, you know, watch a section of the fence or whatever. Very difficult to do that because it's very easy to get bored and let yourself wander and not notice things, right? Um, so the ability to just do the job if I can say it that way, and bring the right resource to do it, not too much, not too little. That's really what the core of Neurooptimal is all about, and that is about returning to present, regardless of what's going on. That is a pretty amazing gift if you can, if you can learn to do that. And if you learn to do that early in life, mm-hmm. it is such a difference because I know a lot of guys and women who achieve some level of this when they're 40 or 50. But right. man, there's a lot that happens in those first 40 or 50 years to get in there. <laughs> in the, oh, yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm only 40. Right. Uh, but I look at the changes that I've had in the last 10 years as a result of this kind of work. Uh-huh. And, yes. oh, my God, I, I feel literally like, like there's there's lifetimes of, of just progress and understanding and my ability to be calm and focused when I'm on stage or when there's a situation that's, you know, incredibly full of pressure and just to just have it roll off me. And it's that kind of resilience that I'm talking about when I say I, I feel like I'm bulletproof today. It's not just having energy. Cause right. if you combine energy with a brain that's flopping all over the place, like you can sow destruction all over. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so you want high energy and high control and high focus. And telling your brain, hey, stupid brain, you just flip-flop from one state to another and you didn't even know you did it. Here's a sign that you're doing it right. For me, this is, this is a really core thing. And for at least 10 years, I've searched for a way to get this accessible so people didn't have to drive into an office and spend 150 bucks per mm-hmm. session to get it. Because I've driven to lots of offices and spent 150 and sometimes $250 a session. Right. And I'm also really lucky that, that at times in my life I was wealthy enough that it was just a good investment even though you know I wasn't dealing with a brain injury or something. Right. Uh, and other times I couldn't afford to do it and I would have liked to. Mm-hmm. So for you to be able to come out with a thing that's this cheap on a per session basis, uh, I just uh, I want to see like clubs forming. <laughs> you know, where, where you get, you know, six people together and then it becomes very, very cheap compared yes. to traditional doing it in a clinic or something. You just have to arrange to share the machine somewhere. Well, we we have the personal system, which is what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and then there's a professional system as well. But frequently uh, families will will buy the the personal system. Uh, they may have gotten into the neurofeedback because of... Uh, the phrase is the identified patient, but there's there's someone who um, is is presenting as as the biggest challenge for the family, and uh, might be a child having difficulty in school, for instance, attentional uh, difficulties. And we suggest that uh, really everybody in the family get involved because everyone can benefit. As one of our trainers says, um, anyone with a brain can benefit, and. Uh, I, I used to joke at times that may leave out some politicians, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but truthfully, it, it have the whole family working 
um, doing sessions makes a huge difference. When you, when you have a developmentally delayed child, for instance, it puts uh, enormous demands and stresses on the rest of the family. And regardless of, of what the particular manifestation of that is, uh, giving the tools internally that are just there through the result of the neurooptimal for the whole family makes it just that much easier for everybody to cope with the, the very real challenges that, that may be present. Um, we've had uh, research projects that have dealt with uh, chemo brain, um, folks who've, who've had um, cancers and they've had uh, you know, radiation or, or chemical therapies, which can really have uh, quite an impact on your cognitive process and, and other aspects of health as well. Um, but we've shown just really good response in terms of restoration of cognitive function in those situations and in, in just about every, every realm. I never had cancer or chemotherapy, but I did show an ASPECT scan. This is a, a 3D mm -hmm. radioactive sugar scan of your, of your brain to look at which parts have metabolic activity and which don't. Right. Uh, I showed signs, they said, of, of toxic brain exposure. They, they didn't really know what the toxin was, but they said they had scalloping and some other problems. In fact, they had mm -hmm. two full pages of strange findings. Right. Uh, the, the psychiatrist who did the scan said, Dave, inside your brain is total chaos. I don't know how you're standing here in front of us. <laughs> and and I, I looked at that as a compliment, you know. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, and since then, I, I've done so much training of the brain, and, and I am fundamentally convinced that if you have the right nutrition and the lack of stuff getting in your way, like toxins, mm -hmm. and you give the brain the awareness that you get from playing this kind of signal back, that the brain on its own will just heal. It's just that the brain's too stupid to heal because it doesn't, it's not even stupid, it's just too blind to heal because it doesn't have any nerves going into it, really. All, all the nerves are about sensing the environment, but there's the one, the fifth cranial nerve inside the brain. Other than that, it's blind to itself. Well, it, so the feedback that, that the central nervous system has gotten throughout most of evolutionary history is out in life, what happens. So you, you may not know until you've overexposed to some toxin that it actually is a toxic substance or toxic for you. Um, you know, this happens a lot in allergy and, and, and migraine, for instance. Migraine triggers are frequently environmental. Some, some perfumes or soaps or, you know, a variety of things. Well, it's, it's fascinating to watch in the work. Um, I'm speaking here about Sue also, who was, uh, had, a, had a massive problem with migraines when she and I first got together. Um, in fact, this we, I was teaching a neurofeedback course, a uh, different system a long time ago, because I've trained on all of them, and I've used basically all of them too. Um, but she came, and she was going to be the, the demo for this one point of, of the course, and I hooked her up and saw her uh, spectral density, and I said to her, um, are you taking any medications? And she said, no. And looking at the spectral density, I thought, oh, okay, um, I guess. Anyway, she came back the next day uh, for the next day of the course. She said, you know, when you asked me yesterday if I was taking any medications, how my mind heard that was, 
are you taking any extra medications? Because she said, I take massive amounts of medications to manage these migraines. And how she really knew that the neurofeedback back then was really working for her was after something like five or six weeks of, of doing sessions, she realized that for the last two weeks she hadn't been carrying any meds with her for prophylaxis or uh, if she had a breakout. It just was no longer an issue for her. That's pretty profound. If you have migraines or you know someone who does, you know how disruptive they can be. And while that that follows my experience with this kind of training where the brain realizes it's having a migraine and then it stops doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's important to realize we're, we're talking here about various things that that can be um, medically or, or psychologically diagnosed and, and treated as separate disorders. Our approach is uh, diagnostically agnostic, as I like to say it. Uh, it. It really doesn't matter what comes in. We We are not specifically treating conditions. And what we do is is not a treatment for any conditions. But we simply have research uh, mostly done by a lot of our users, but also uh, by some others doing in completely independent research, showing the outcomes uh, kind of across the range for where neurofeedback has been used uh, with our system with no further modifications. You know, you don't have to do anything special because you're coming because you have migraines versus because you... Uh, are feeling depressed or anxious or you want to improve your creativity or get back in touch with your artistic self or, you know, spiritual development, whatever. It's a, kind of a new paradigm on the Bulletproof blog where I'm talking much more about performing well because mm -hmm. everyone on earth wants to be healthy. And most people think they're healthy even if they're not. But also, everyone wants to perform well. Yes. And if you push your performance limits, you'll discover whether or not you're healthy. But using right. a system like Neuroptimal in order to really sort of push your brain's performance limits to figure out what it and thus you can do is it's kind of a new spin on an old game. But if you have a migraine or you have these other problems, yeah, biohack it yourself. Get the data. See what's going on. Experiment. And yeah, go to the doctor when you need to, but bring the data and the results of your biohacking with you and say, hey doctor, now I already know what my sleep quality is like, I monitored that. You know, mm -hmm. maybe even I know what my brain waves are like because I tried that, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have nothing wrong with you and you feel like you're at the top of your game, you are so wrong. You're not at the <laughs> top of your game. You don't even know the top of your game. And we're, we right. get your brain fueled right, and we get your brain and your central nervous system and even your peripheral nervous system trained right in ways that, you know, maybe Bruce Lee could do it, you know, playing ping pong mm -hmm. by himself for 10,000 hours. But there's much, much faster ways yes. in order to achieve levels of performance that are that are shocking. And I haven't done all that stuff. I'm no Bruce Lee by a long shot. I'm not really a martial artist. But I can tell you how I move and how I think and how I feel. All those things are radically upgraded and so different than what they were before. Yes. Uh, so, uh, all right, how many sessions does 
a healthy or at least reasonably healthy, reasonably performance person without depression or migraines or any of this other stuff, how many does it take for them to notice, oh, look, my creativity is different, my sleep is different, you know, I, I'm faster, I'm better, I, you know, I, I, would, I kicked ass on stage or whatever it is they do for a living. Like, is it one session? Is it 10? Like, three sessions is, is what comes with the personal trainer. So how many of those does one person need in order to outperform? Well, it, it, everybody's results are going to be a little bit different. But what I can tell you is that most, most of our users report that they notice some difference within the first session. That may not be in their identified area of concern or areas of concern. Uh, but, but certainly by five and then by ten, they're already starting to notice differences there, uh, if not sooner. Um, we used to say that sort of a, a rule of thumb for, for most people kind of coming in, uh, in in the sort of situation you're talking about or, or with some identified problems beyond they want to perform better, um, to think about 20 as probably a really good series. Uh, but it varies a lot. Some some people get to session ten and say, "Okay, I'm done. I, I feel this is good. I'll, I'll come back later if I want a booster or whatever." And and sometimes that's a really good way to do it because if you're coming from one of these black holes, if you will, of of an abusive situation or whatever, you've got to dig yourself out frequently out in the world from the sequelae of all of that and, and where you are in your life. And, and once that happens, more transformation can occur and you can even go further with the neurofeedback. It's, it's something that you can keep doing really as long as you want. That's, that's pretty amazing and that kind of matches my experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, this podcast is... Uh, is a learning thing for people, not, you know, an infomercial for Neurooptimal. Right. Um, and, you know, you wrote the code, you invented it, obviously, you know, it kind of, it, it's your baby, so it's not ugly. <laughs> well, I, I certainly feel that way, and so does Sue, and uh, I, I think most everybody who's associated with uh, Zengar Institute feels that way, uh, but especially those who've used the product feel that way. And uh, that's that's the most important thing to me is is facilitating personal transformation because that's where everything else comes from. One of the the risks that I'm frankly really concerned about with some forms of uh, feedback, particularly QEEG, where you, you try and measure the average brain from a bunch of people, and you say, "Well, your brain is unaveraged. Let's make it average." Great mm-hmm. if you're an F student. Now you're well, you know, you're a C student, but if you're an A student, now you're a C student. Uh, what's your take on you know that style of, of quantitation of brainwaves and you know, the future of that? And, and does it work? Is it good? Is it bad? And what are the risks of neurooptimal versus that? Well, I I think that the the biggest problem with the the kind of QEG approach and this whole normative data approach is that. All of that is based on linear classical statistics, so Gaussian statistics normative curve. And, and you've pointed out one aspect, which is who really wants to be normal or average? I mean, if, if you're in a committed relationship, 
you know, do you ever go up to your partner and say, okay, can, can we have an average kiss now? You know, it, it doesn't make sense. It really just doesn't make sense. Um, it, yes, I understand. I, I remember a number of years ago, one of the statistics I used to talk about to illustrate this was uh, some uh, insurance company, I believe, uh, in the U.S. that had, had commissioned the study, and they found out that the average American family had 2.3 children. And I used to say, you know, the problem is no American family has 2.3 children. You can't have 0.3 children. You can have two, you can have three, you can have one, but you can't have 2.3. They don't come that way. They're, they're quanta. They come as, a, as, as a, a single unit, you know? But where, is some, where are those statistics useful? Well, if you're trying to project out how many seats you need in elementary schools over the next generation or whatever, well, then that is useful. You know, so there, there's definitely uses for normative data, but the central nervous system, the brain, is a nonlinear dynamical system. It's not a linear system. So trying to capture it in terms of averages or those kind of statistics is, is just fundamentally off as far as I'm concerned. And I have yet to see any study showing that QEG-driven neurofeedback is, is better than neurooptimal in terms of outcomes and and uh, client satisfaction. If anything, our stats is reported by our users and and in our user survey and in the research that we've presented at uh, our our research conferences and such um, shows that our outcomes are better. That says uh, that kind of says in a nutshell. Something pretty powerful. So I, I don't know that I can say the outcomes are better. I've had QEEG-based treatments. I, well, I think there was, uh, there, there actually were some problems afterwards. I, I got some nice benefit, especially on like mm-hmm. gastrointestinal stuff. But, sure. But cognitively, yeah, there was a, there was a maybe not so positive change afterwards uh, that mm-hmm. maybe went away after a while, or maybe I became unaware of it. But I, I appreciate that perspective. Well, I mean, we had uh, a number of years ago, one of our users um, actually helped another user out who had had um, quite a number of sessions and prior attempts uh, with QEG-driven neurofeedback over the course of of many years. Um, She had uh, uh, Lyme disease and and so the chronic fatigue you know, immune system involvement sorts of uh, sequelae. And she had a history of the cues. Well, she came ultimately to use Neurooptimal and, and became not only a client but a, but a user of the system. Um, and after her symptoms basically ameliorated uh, from the Neurooptimal, she had another QEG done. And the thing that was fascinating was that all of the changes that were supposed to have come from the QEG-driven stuff that didn't come came from neurotomal, even though those sites and those particular frequency targets were never trained directly. It was just what occurred along the way. The the brain renormalized itself, and her symptomatology, her, her problems, her presenting complaints basically dropped away 
Wonderful. That's that's kind of amazing. We're running out of time, Val. And there's a question that sure. every guest on the show, except one where I forgot, has <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. answered. And that question is, what are the top three things that you've learned in your life, not just from neurofeedback, but from any domain, that you think people should do in order to perform better, in order to basically kick more ass? Like, like if you just want to live in that state of, you know, of flow and resilience, what are the most important things you have to offer? The first thing is, I think, the most fundamental in many ways, and that's find out what you love doing and do it. Uh, if, if you really want to flow in what you do, it needs to come from the heart, and that means the core of your, your being. Um, Neurothmal wouldn't have come together except Sue was on board and you know all the other people around and all the life experiences um, that she and I went through and shared on the way to developing it. But for me, facilitating personal transformation has been that core passion in my life. Everything I've done, as I look back on it, is, has been oriented towards that. That makes it very easy for me to let other things drop away because they're just not that important. So the, the, the related point, the second point of what's important to do is do what you love and let the rest go. That doesn't mean you just completely give it up, but don't put your energies in places that really aren't your heart's desire because no matter how you do that, at, at best you're, you're sort of wasting yourself. But you're also going to you're also going to build up a sense of, of resentment and, and uh, anger at having those efforts driveled away. Uh, I think I think the the third thing is vastly connected to to both of those, and that's stay connected with uh, a wonderful group of uh, mighty companions, as the phrase goes. Um, those who, even if they don't share your specific passion, share their passion so that you can learn from them, so that you can dance with them, so that you can stay connected. I mean, all the research shows very, very clearly that those in committed relationships live longer, have better lives in general, better satisfaction of lives, despite even the problems of committed relationships falling apart. But those who have a circle around them of people who are friends and close friends who they can have time with, gear down with, gear up with, celebrate life. Those, all, all of those work together. The, the, there, there's certainly little practices you can do and all of that, and I, I know you cover that um, all over your website and all your materials, so I'm, I'm not going to go into any of that. I'm trying to go more for the way I think about what's the most important stuff. That is exactly the answer uh, that I was looking for, what you think about this stuff, and that's what our listeners want to hear. Yeah. Um, so if you're uh, one of the few people who makes it on the show, you've, you've done something unique, and you know, thanks for sharing your sort of life's learnings there, because that's some of the most valuable stuff anyone has to share. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Val, thanks again for being on the show, 
And you can learn more about uh, Neuroptimal and the specific unit we're talking about where we carry it on UpgradedSelf.com. And Val, if they want to learn more about the Zengar Institute itself, what URL uh, would they go to? Uh, Zengar.com. www.zengar.com will get you there. Great. Thanks very much. Have an awesome day. Thanks. You too. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.